Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. But really looking forward to our text this morning, but I got to introduce it by sharing with you something that I'm, I'm sure you already know, but uh, I don't have a perfect family. I don't know if you know this. I like the rest of you. Well, my extended family's not perfect. Uh, let, me just, let, me just, let me just say that. And this became apparent yesterday. I, I hate to bring, you know, to air our stuff in public, but uh, here's, here's, here's what's the issue with my family. Um, yesterday, Michigan uh, University, the University of Michigan, uh, played Ohio State uh, University. Um, so for some reason, I have uh, extended family members, some of whom uh, cheer for the University of Michigan and others who cheer for the, uh, oh, the Ohio State uh, University. And uh, so these two football teams played, and I hate to say that there was division in my family yesterday. Yeah, there were, there were people that were rooting against one another. It was saddening to see, sickening maybe even, you know, the, the, the barbs that were being thrown uh, back and forth. But this rivalry doesn't just exist in my family. Like, I mean, when you talk to people from the University of Michigan and The Ohio State University, this rivalry has existed for forever ever and and like you bring these two people together and it can be a really nasty nasty thing and uh, for those of you that don't know michigan killed ohio state yesterday uh and so um no clapping no clapping no cheering we don't we don't want to support either party in this um but like it's a humorous thing to see in sports when people take their teams so seriously you know that people can't even be in like the same room with somebody who cheers for a team that's not uh their team that's just a microcosm of what actually exists in the world, isn't it? I mean, nations of the world exist in conflict with one another in which you would, you'd picture two parties never being able to, to sit down and to gather together. We think about the most obvious one I think that exists is when you think about the, the Jews and the Palestinians and how that conflict exists. You think about North and South uh, Korea. Um, there are divisions in our world. 
have very strong divisions where, where people are antagonistic and hurtful and harmful uh, towards one another just because of either where they live or their religion. Um, and today we're going to come to this text in Ephesians where Paul is going to talk about a division that has existed uh, in the world. And he's going to talk about this division that's existed in the world between two parties for the emphasis, for the purpose of revealing and communicating to us the absolute power and the majesty of God and his ability to bring about reconciliation and do things that we would consider unimaginable, as unimaginable as Michigan fans and Ohio State fans getting together and having Thanksgiving dinner uh, together. And so I want you to open up in your Bibles to Ephesians. We're in chapter 2. You heard the text read this morning. We're in verses 11. We're going to go all the way through verse 18, and then next week we're going to finish off this passage looking at verses 19 through, through twenty. 22. But, but let me just kind of set the stage here by reading again just the first two verses of this portion of God's word. Starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the circumcision by what is called the, or the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Okay, now stop there. So Paul, up to this point in the book of Ephesians, he has been writing to believers in the church in Ephesus. He's been writing to Christians. And he's been writing to Christians... Uh, across the board, all Christians that are in Ephesus. But in this section, what he's going to do is he is going to speak directly to a specific group of Christians in the church in Ephesus. And he refers to them, we see it right there in verse 11, as the Gentiles, who are called the uncircumcised, the uncircumcision, versus those who are of the circumcision. And so he's distinguishing that in the church in Ephesus, there are a group of people who were Gentiles and then there were a group of people who were Jews and that both made up membership in the church. So he's gone from speaking broadly to all Christians in the church to saying, I want to talk to just to you Gentiles here for a moment. Now, if we are going to understand anything that he says in the rest of this passage as he addresses the Gentiles, one of the things that we have to there, there's just a couple of things that I have to rehearse for us. And now some of it's going to be really familiar to you. Others of you, this might be the first time that you actually hear some of these things. So if we're going to understand this, let me just kind of give the broad context for the entirety of scriptures if we're going to understand this passage. And the first thing that I want us to remember is this. There is only one human race, okay? There's only one human race. We were all created in God's image. Every person that's ever lived was created in God's image. We are all descendants of Adam. So how many human races exist? One. There's only one human race. In 1997, Tiger Woods uh, had one of the greatest years of golf that somebody's ever had. And they were interviewing his dad. Oprah Winfrey was interviewing his dad after this great season of golf that Tiger Woods had. And, and Oprah um, asked a question of Tiger Woods' dad, Earl. She said, you know, your son is part Asian and part black. Growing up, how did you raise your son? What race did you teach him that he belonged to? And Earl replied, the human race. And everybody, you know, applauded. Now, Earl was just making a statement that's absolutely true. 
There's only one human race. There's only one humanity. In fact, here's something that I find just so interesting that we know from science. You know, we uh, do not have, as human beings, we're, our, our skin is not necessarily of a different color. It, what I mean by that, like if you want proof that we're all one race, the only difference in our skin is the amount of melanin that exists. We're actually all shades of the exact same color. Did you know that? It, it's just we're different shades. Like my kids had crayon boxes growing up and you had like the color blue, but there were all these shades of the color blue, but they were all the color what? Blue. And so like these, these racial distinctions that exist in culture are simply a social construct. According to God's word, you got to understand this if we're going to understand what comes next. There's only one human race. We're all created in the image of God. And because we're all of one human race, one other thing remains true. All humans have sinned and are cut off from God. We've been looking at this the last few weeks. There's, there's not one member of the human race who has not sinned, both by birth and by choice. We were born in to sin through Adam, but then we sin by our very actions. Now, with one human race, all of us have sinned. God, though, didn't leave us in our sin. In fact, after Adam and Eve sinned, God made a promise that he would one day reconcile humanity to himself and undo what we did. That's, this is our developing story of the human race. And in the unfolding of this plan, it begins when God goes to a man named Abraham, a member of the human race, and he says, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be, what? Blessed. So God doesn't all of a sudden create a new race of humans and says that this race of humans will be my people and, I, and, and through them salvation will come. Instead, God goes to the human race. He goes to a member of the human race, Abraham, and says, I'm going to make from you a specific people. And then through you and through your people, ultimately the Redeemer, the Savior for all humanity is going to come. And God's chosen people are who we call the Jews. And so today, now in the world, you have two groups of people that exist, both members of the human race, but two groups of people. You have the world, which is the Gentiles, and then you have God's people who are the Jews. Are you tracking with me? Okay. This is all going to be so important. One human race, but now because God promises to redeem the human race, he segments one group and he says, all right, through you, I'm going to bring about a redeemer. But also through you, you're going to point the peoples of the earth to me. And that's the Jews. And so the Jews receive the covenant with God. They receive the promises of God. God doesn't change the genetic makeup of the Jews and make them a whole different race of human beings. He simply makes his covenant promises with them. That's what makes them distinct. It was not genetics. So in light of that, we come to this passage where Paul says, verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision because circumcision, the rite of circumcision was one of the things that the Jews did to mark them as distinct as God's people. He says, remember that you were, verse 12, at that time separated from Christ. At what time? Before Jesus Christ came, if you were not a Jew, you were separated from Christ. And he says, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
So after talking to all Christians and saying that we were, before Jesus Christ saved us, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins, he focuses on this one group of humanity, the Gentiles, and says, because you were Gentiles, there's three things you need to know about your condition that goes further than, than everyone in general. Notice those three things. The first is this. He says, you were separated from Christ, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise. If it's not bad enough that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, as we saw earlier in chapter two, he says, first and foremost, you were separated from Christ. What's he saying here? Gentiles before the coming of Jesus Christ were without the knowledge of the promised Messiah. That's the first point in your notes there. Who were Gentiles before the coming of Christ? Who were you and I if we're not Jewish? He says, you were those who had no knowledge of the Messiah. You were removed, that's what he says here, you were without Christ in the world. It was to the Jews that God had made the promise that the Redeemer would come. And so they had this forward-looking hope of the Messiah and his coming. But But Gentiles, you and I, outside of that faith, we didn't have that knowledge. And so therefore, he says, you are without this hope. But he says, not only were you without a knowledge of the promised Messiah, he says, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You know what he means by that? He means that you were without God's rule. You were without God's rule. You existed in the world with no knowledge that God is the creator and the ruler over all things. And so you set up false kings, false rulers. You were given over to their rule versus Israel by its very structure was to be a theocracy under which even the kings of Israel were to point the people to the ultimate king. And so he says, you were so messed up as Gentiles, you didn't even have God's rule over you. You couldn't submit to him. You didn't even have a knowledge of him. And if that weren't bad enough, finally, he says, you were alienated or strangers to the covenants of promise. That means you were without the blessings of being God's people. One of the beautiful things that God had done for the Jewish people when he set them apart is he said, if you obey my commandments and and if you walk in my ways, I I will bless you. I will go with you. I will be for you. You'll be a, a light to the nations. So whenever the nation of Israel walked in obedience to the Lord, there was, there was blessing that came. And, and Paul's saying, if you were a Gentile, you were cut off from that. And he summarizes it all at the very end of verse 12. He's like, really, Gentiles, here's what you need to know about yourselves. You lived in the world having no hope and you were without God. That's how bad of a situation we as Gentiles found ourselves in. You see, a Jew knew that sin existed in the world. It knew why it existed and what could be done about that. God had provided for the Jews a, a picture of redemption through the, through the sacrificial system with the priests and with the temple. And so, so Jews lived with, with hope. They knew that God would one day send the Redeemer. And he says, you as Gentiles, if you want to know the point that Paul was trying to make in these verses, it's ultimately this. Gentiles were as far from God as one could be. That's what he was trying to communicate to Gentiles who are now Christians. He says, I want you to know that you Gentiles at one point were as far from God as someone could possibly be. Because you were outside of the redemptive plan that God had, you didn't know of the redemptive plan that God had because I'd given that to the Jewish people, but that was not something that you knew of. And so you're as far from God as you could possibly be. 
Now, this is going to be important in just a moment to understand. And, 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 you know, when I think about being as far from God as we could possibly be, let, let's, let's be clear on what I mean by that. Today, I woke up this morning to a text from my dad. That's not necessarily something, you know, out of the ordinary, but, but it, was a, it was a fun thing to get a text from him because I knew that today, um, this morning here, it's evening there, he was in Saudi Arabia. And he was, took a picture of a place where he was. He was there on, on business. And, and he sent us a picture as a family. And he's like, we're having dinner. They took us out to the desert. I'm like, are they going to kill you? Um, <clears throat> but they, they took him out to the desert. And he's like, we're at a place that they call the edge of the world. And so it looks like the Grand Canyon, except no cliff on the other side. So he's just on a cliff. And then there's just desert. I, and, I, and I thought about that. I, I thought two things when I got that. I said, you know, this morning we're talking about Gentiles being as far from God as they can possibly be. Um, our family has Life360, so, so I, can, I can click on this app and I can see where I am at one point and where my dad is. And I see him all the way over in Saudi Arabia. It's like, it's, like geographically, he's almost as far as he could be from me today. Literally, he, he's having dinner at a place called the edge of the world. Like how much further can, you, can we get from one another? But the thing with that is I can still get to my dad and he can still get to me, can he? I mean, he can get on a plane, he can make his way, and we can, we can eventually get to one another. We can be really far apart, but we can still get to one another. Friends, like, make no mistake, what though Paul is saying here, what the Bible says is, don't mistake that when I say that you're as far from God as one can possibly be, that you in any way, shape, or form can, can cross that chasm on your own. Are you tracking? And so Paul says, this is how you and I at one point existed. Now, it begs the question, Paul, this is all like really depressing once again. Like, you already told us that we were dead in our trespasses. Now you're kind of lumping it on us. Why are you doing all of this? Well, he's doing this because just like he did before, there's a beautiful and glorious truth that gets revealed when you understand how genuinely apart from God you were. And we find it right here in verse 13. Look at what he says. He turns all of a sudden the page. He says, yes, you were far away. Yes, there was this unavoidable chasm that you couldn't cross. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been what? Brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? He says, do you know, you were so far away from God that you were without hope. Today is the first day of Advent, and we're talking about hope. And Christian hope isn't the hope of the world. Christian hope is not, Jesus. I hope I get a, a present. Christian hope is a firm confidence that a blessing in the future will be experienced, although I haven't gotten it yet. And so Paul says, when you were apart from Jesus Christ, you had no hope. You had no confident expectation that the promises of God would come to you. But now, in Christ, you who are far off have been brought near. What Paul is coming to us and going to say in this passage is this. No matter how far someone is from God, the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ is able to save. Why does he show the distance that existed? Because he wants us to know that no matter how far anyone is from God because they're dead in their trespasses, because they're outside of the covenant and promise, no matter how far you are from God, it is the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ that's able to save. And the reason why we say the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ is because of that last phrase. But let's start with this. Look at what he says 
and you who were far off have been brought near. Once again, the language that Paul uses is now emphasizing specifically to Gentile Christians. Church, who brought us near? Who did the work? Christ did the work. We're the object of the verb. We're the thing that Christ brought near. That's important. We're the object. Did we bring ourselves near? No. Who brought us near? God did through Jesus Christ. But let's be clear on what it means for him to bring us near. Did he bring us near to God? And then we got the rest of the way on our own. Did he bring us near to God and there was still work to be done? Um, Imagine a three-year-old. I I bring a three-year-old up on the stage. A three-year-old can't make their way to Disneyland on their own. Disneyland's about two hours away from here. Could you imagine if I came to a three-year-old and says, hey, today I'm going to bring you to Disneyland. And the three-year-old's like, that's amazing because I can't get there. I'm like, I can't drive. I'm like, good, I'm glad you can't drive. But I bring the three-year-old and I, and I park and I bring the three-year-old and we're in the courtyard there outside of Disneyland. I'm like, here we are. We're at Disneyland. What's the problem with that? I mean, I brought them to Disneyland, right? But are they inside Disneyland? See, we can think sometimes about our, our salvation. It's like, well, he brought us near. He got us into the courtyard, but we have to get ourselves through the gate. Right? When it says that he brought us near, don't interpret it in this way. That's not what he means. When it says that he brought us near, it means that, church, he brought us in. It's not just that he brought us to the gates of Disneyland. It's not just that he, that he brought us to the presence of, of the Father and we had to go the rest of the way. No, he brought us in. And look at how he brought us in. You who are once far off have been brought near by the what? The blood of Christ. How did he do this work? By his blood. You know, Christians, we sing about the blood of Jesus often. And we talk about it a lot. And, I, and I've, I think I've mentioned this in the past. I often wonder if somebody's coming to church for the first time and they're hearing us talk about the blood and singing about the blood of Jesus. And they're like, what is this place? <laughs> I mean, but there's good reason why we do it. Because the scriptures talk to us about the blood of Jesus Christ. It's by the blood that we are ultimately brought near. But whenever we see the blood referred to here within the scriptures, listen to me, the blood of Christ, it equals the sacrificial substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ for us. This is what's being talked about. It's being talked about that Jesus Christ, as Pastor Tony just said to the kids, he was born as a, as a baby. He lived, but then he died on the cross as a sacrifice for us. Our sin requires death. And so that penalty had to be paid, and the person who paid that penalty, as Paul says here, is none other than Jesus Christ. That's what the blood is referring to. It's referring to Christ's substitution of his life for my life, his life for your life. Jesus Christ came to die for both Jew and Gentile, and unless he does that, we cannot be brought near. But because he did the work, we have been brought near. Praise the Lord. When we look at what Paul is saying here, he is saying, no matter how far someone is 
from God. The work of Jesus Christ is able to save because he is that perfect atoning sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And so he wants the readers of his letter, he wants us this morning to hear this. Man, this is a great joy this morning because it comes and it says to anyone that's here today, no matter how deep and dark your sins might be, how deep and dark my sins might be, no matter how far off I feel, and actually in reality I am from God, I'm not saved by my good works, you're not saved by your good works, I'm not brought near to God because I got on a plane, I crossed an ocean, any of those things. The chasm between God and myself, the chasm between you and God was closed through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah for that. You know, sometimes people talk about Christianity being a very exclusive religion. And I would say, well, let's talk about how is Christianity exclusive? In reality, Christianity is the most inclusive of all because it says that the blood of Jesus Christ covers the sins of any who trust in him. Jew or Gentile, he says, it's the blood of Jesus that saves, it's not your works. So it's actually very inclusive in the fact that anyone, no matter how far off they are, can be brought near. But it is exclusive in this place. No one's getting in apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where it's exclusive. And that's sometimes where people have a problem with it. But for us, we shouldn't have a problem with it. And in fact, what I rejoice in this morning with you is that on this day that we come, the very first Sunday of Advent, and we celebrate hope, listen, if the blood of Jesus Christ can bring us near, then there's hope for the world. Is there anyone in your life are you yourself so far off that the blood of Jesus is incapable of redeeming and saving you? The answer to that is what? No. There's hope for the world. Hark the herald angel sings, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth. Why is there peace on earth? Because the Savior has come, his name is Jesus, and he has done what we could not do. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He goes on. It's not just that Christ has brought us near to God. This passage is not simply about the salvation of those who are Gentiles. What this passage is ultimately about, what we're going to see here in the remainder of, of our moments together and then in more fullness next week, is this very profound truth. The sacrificial work of Jesus Christ creates one new people of God. It's not just that those who are far off have been brought near. He says, you want to know how powerful God is? He has done a reconciling work between humanity and God, but between two portions of humanity, Jews and Gentiles, and he's brought them together into one new people of God, the greatest rivalry, the greatest division that ever existed in humanity. We're going to see now in the text, God says, because of what Christ has done, He's brought those who are far off near, but he's taken two and he's made them into one new man. Look at verse 14. It says, for he himself is our peace. Our peace. He's now addressing both Jews and Gentiles. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How powerful is the salvific work of Jesus Christ? The far off have been brought near. But between Jew and Gentile, there existed, look at what he says, a wall of hostility, a, a divide, not just between Gentiles and God, but between Gentiles and Jews. And he says, you, you want to know what God has done? Look at what he did. He broke down that wall. At the time that Paul was actually writing this letter, there was a physical, tangible reminder that existed in the world of how significant this divide was. At the time that Paul was writing this letter, if you went to Jerusalem, and this existed during the time of Jesus Christ, if you went to Jerusalem and you went to the temple and you were like me, a non-Jew, you were a Gentile, you would go there and you would discover that you could, you could come to a portion of the temple, but just outside this courtyard, it was called the, the courtyard of the Gentiles, and then you would discover that you, if you were a Gentile, could go no further. In fact, there was a warning sign that was posted all around this one section. And I want you to look at it. This is what it said. No foreigner is to ever enter within the barrier and embankment around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death which follows. That was posted in Latin and that was posted in Greek throughout different times around the temple that kept people, Gentiles, from gathering with Jews to worship God. There was a physical boundary marker, a wall of hostility that said, if you were a Gentile, you shall not pass. This is as far as you can get. And so when Paul writes here, he says, do you know what Jesus Christ did when he died? What Jesus Christ did was something that none of us could possibly do. He broke down this wall of hostility. When Paul was writing this letter, that one of the most significant issues that first century Christians were having to wrestle with was this. What's the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ? There were some people who were Jews who heard the message of Jesus Christ and said, if a Gentile trusts in Jesus Christ, they must perform the rites and the rituals, including circumcision, in order to be considered part of God's people. You still have to follow the law and the commandments. You have to do the, the Jewish things in order to be considered a follower of Jesus Christ. The mindset was, when you got saved as a Gentile, you, in a sense, really became a Jew. And so what Paul is doing here and what he does in the book of Galatians and what we see in the book of Acts in chapter 15 is he addresses this question. He says, no, I need you to understand something. Look at verse 15, he says. What Christ did was he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Church, do you know what he's saying here? In the past, the Jewish people existed with the law and the sacrificial system as God's chosen people for the purpose of through them the Redeemer would come. And for the purpose of the laws and the commandments and the sacrificial system to point forward to the coming Redeemer. 
But with the coming of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ says, don't you know what I've done? I was the perfect Israel. I was the perfect sacrifice. The book of Hebrews says you don't have to keep on sacrificing. You don't have to keep on killing bulls and goats. You don't have to do these ceremonial things to be considered part of the people of God anymore. I have abolished all of those things. And so I have taken the two, the Jew and the Gentile, and I have brought them together and I have made them one. But he didn't, he didn't bring them together in and through Jesus Christ and, and like I said, take the Gentiles and make them now Jews. Instead, look at what the text says. He says in verse 15, that he might create in himself one new man. What Christ has done is, well, let me put it this way. I, I don't, I, I'm gonna try it this way and I'm gonna give a, an old theologian and he does it better, but it's like, taking Michigan State fans or Michigan University fans and, and Ohio State fans, and, and he doesn't make the Michigan fans now Ohio State fans. He doesn't make the Ohio State fans now Michigan fans. No, no. He says, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm making you something altogether different. Listen to this quote from, from, from John Chrysotom when he said, this is, a, this is an early church father, he said, it is as though God took a statue of silver and a statue of lead, put them into a forge, and they came out as What? a statue of gold. He broke down this hostility. He took down this wall and he's done something. Through Jesus Christ, Jews are saved. Not through the sacrificial system, not through the ceremonies. Through Jesus Christ, the Gentiles are saved and they're brought in and they're made one new man. This is why he says in verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those of you who are near. He's saying to the Jews, you were close to the covenants and to the promises. But the only way that you can actually be my people is in and through who? Jesus Christ. It's the same for you as it is for the Gentiles. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that brings you in, that brings you near. This is the power of Jesus Christ. Christ has created one new man. There's not two categories of Christians. It's not like there's Jewish Christians and there's Gentile Christians. He says there is only one new man. Each of you gets in the same way through Jesus Christ. The sacrificial work of Jesus Christ is able to save those who are far off and it creates one new people. And so that's why you get passages like this when he writes to the church in Galatia. He says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The categories that the world sets up the categories it says here's your identity here's who you are christ says we're one in christ to the church in colossae he writes in colossians 3:11, here there is not greek and jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian scythian slave or free but christ is all and is in all why does paul hone in on 
this very specific group of people in the church because he wants to paint this beautiful picture for us that even as we go from here today, we would understand the powerful work of Jesus Christ and reconciling those who are far off, creating one new people, and in doing so, revealing the might and the power and the glory of who he is. This is also Paul coming and saying, stop looking. Stop looking. The work is done. Jews, the Messiah is here. The promises are fulfilled here with Jesus Christ. You were looking forward to this. You were longing for this. And now it's come. Gentiles, celebrate. You're not cut off, but you're able to enter into that which you did not have before. And you might say, Dave, what does this matter to us in the year 2022 during the Christmas season? How does this speak to us? Well, it speaks to us in two ways. The first I've already addressed, which is this. Do we have confidence, church? Do we believe that wholeheartedly there is no one who is beyond the reach of Christ's ability to save? Like when we go into the world and we're gonna sing it, we're gonna sing it this year, as we do every Christmas, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Do we believe that, that there are people out here that are beyond the reach of the king of kings and the Lord of the Lord? The answer is no. We should go into the world celebrating this truth that those who are the farthest off, I think about my father today in a place like Saudi Arabia. I think about the World Cup happening in a place like Qatar. Qatar, which actively to this day persecutes Christians. You, you are not free to worship Jesus Christ in the Middle East in Qatar. You can, you can be thrown in prison at minimum. You can actually die for your faith in Christ in a place like that. And we could say, you know what? Well, forget about them. Yet what God would say is those that you think are the furthest off, they can still be brought near. How? Through my blood. That's number one. Number two, and this I hope Valley Street Community Church uh, this I hope that we wholeheartedly see. When you understand a passage like this, when you understand that there's only one humanity, everyone has sinned, but God is able to redeem any portion of humanity, there is no place for racism in the church, is there? There is no place for us to look at others separate from someone else and saying, we are better than, we are greater than because there is only one human race and it's completely fallen. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile or a Jew, no matter what the quote-unquote color of your skin is, you need the blood of Jesus in order to save you. We're all the same. Last week, right after this message, I couldn't, I, I, get, I tell you that we shouldn't be surprised by the world, but even, yes, I'm surprised by the world sometimes. A young woman comes up to me and she says, says I have a question for you. I need, to, I need to talk to a friend of mine because my friend, her mother is telling her, this is 2022, her mother says that she's a Christian and she says that, there, that, that it's wrong for interracial marriage. And I was like, could you say that into my other ear? Because I'm just, I'm like... She's like, yeah, no, no, the Christians, this lady is telling her daughter, Christians shouldn't intermarry with those of, quote, unquote, another race. Like, that was just last week I was asked that question. Now, this isn't somebody in our church, okay? This isn't somebody within our church that's asking. This is somebody outside of our church who claims to be a Christian but believes that because of the color of your skin, you shouldn't marry somebody. I'm like, I literally looked at this young woman and I said, hey, can I show you what we're going to look at next week? <laughs> because that's not who we are. 
we are all brought near, peace is proclaimed all through Jesus Christ. May there be a humility in us. May there be an acceptance in us that we come and we look at one another. As we're going to see next week, this is going to be so beautiful. As brothers and sisters, as citizens of God's household, together we are his church. In fact, in your notes, this is the last thing that I want you to write down, and that's very simply this. God calls the church now his people. His people are the church. This is who we are through the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for his power and for his work because not one of us today could stand, not one of us today would have hope, but today we do because Christ has come. Let's pray. Father, what a joy to be able to know that we get to talk to you, communicate with you, and this passage explains to us that the reason for that is because you have brought us near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, let us be a worshipful people. Let us be a humble people. Let us be a people, Lord, that as your people do not ever segregate, Lord, or cut others off or believe in our hearts that anyone is is beyond your ability to save because of a passage like this. Instead, Lord, let it create in us as a people as we go from this place a great joy knowing, Lord, that now we have God in this world, knowing now that we have hope in this world. And Lord, let us bring that hope to others as recipients of it ourselves. And so we pray and we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.